0: Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast, episode 68 The Legacy of Meredith. Last week, we discussed the disaster of the 980s for Gwynedd, when backstabbing and infighting led to the loss of independence to Meredith and Dwythbarth. For the next 10 years, Meredith rules most of Wales. Kind of. It is also a time when the annals fall relatively silent. We lose track of what is going on simply because of the lack of historical record. In Ireland and England, the battle with the Vikings go on, and there is mention of some sort of invasion of South Wales by the Vikings in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, but it is not significant enough to receive mention by the Annals. There is evidence by 992 that all was not well in the Welsh kingdoms of the South. The Murphians are fighting, much like they are doing in the north. Ionan's son Edwin, the Saxon-named boy, began to trouble his uncle, likely with the help of the Mercians, or at least the Saxons in general. There is a mention of his mother being English in 1016, and that he is living at that point at Herefordshire, so it would make sense that he would ally himself with his mother's people. Edwin attacks Mardewith's southern possessions, capturing a number of hostages, but this seems to have done him little good, as his uncle then returns the favor by then apparently attacking Morganui, uh with what appears to be a Viking mercenary band, which seems sort of tangential to the situation, whether Edwin had allies in Morganui or whether... It was just simply a case that uh, merdoth decided that it was worthwhile to try and take out his southeastern rival. We're not entirely sure at this point. But what we do know is, once again, we see the Vikings not as one large conglomerate group, because, of course, that wasn't the case. But most often, they were raiding groups, which were a little different from pirates. The cultural aspect of them, being Danish or Norse, wasn't necessarily the makeup of Vikings in this period. Vikings were not only just these cultural groups, but many people in the vicinity of their communities, in the vicinity of the areas they raided, would join rather than starve, or worse yet, have to continue to pay Danegelds. You know, why pay a Danegeld when you can join the local mercenaries and make money and be well-fed and not have to deal with all that? Of course, you have the aspect of death from war, but you have that if they're raiding you constantly, too. So likely you can kind of see why people chose that option. And in a way, that's likely the case here. As much as it discusses Gentiles and Vikings and all of these kind of things, there's still more than likely members of the local community, as much as they are Norsemen or Danes at this stage. So the idea that they would have helped the Welsh doesn't seem quite as surprising it as it would be if they were purely mercenary Danes or mercenary Norsemen. It would appear that Meredith saw off Edwin at this point, as he basically disappears from the Welsh for record. And Meredith reaches the height of his grandfather briefly, controlling almost all of Wales. As we talked about last week, he ended up taking over Gwyneth and, by default, Powys, which at this point almost doesn't exist. Edwin and his descendants, however, are found in Herefordshire long after, at least long enough to be recorded by the Domesday book later. So... While he may have been defeated here in Wales, he continues to exist and continues to be, let's be honest, a threat towards the Welsh thrones, at least in Doithbarth, because of his ancestry. But the sons of Idwill, meanwhile, are not done in trying to regain control of Gwynedd. In 994, Merig attacks the kingdom, trying to wrest it from Merdoth, which, of course, makes you wonder how much this taxed an already overburdened king fighting all these various wars, especially since he had so recently had to deal with his nephew. Merig won a seemingly decisive battle at Tlengum, uh, uh, which is believed to be, at least Charles Edwards postulates, this was likely Tlengum uh, Dinmail. Uh, but Meredich dies only two years later in 996 and depending on who which scholar you read and, and who you believe this may have seen off the last of idwall's progeny giving Meredith back control of the north until his death in 999 uh, we're about to bring up somebody else who's a descendant of Meredith so that kind of or Merig, so that kind of makes this a little questionable, but that is some of the scholars do believe that this is what happened. Yet even with all of this control, Meredith is not looked back on with the same fondness as his grandfather. Howell may have been helped out by the code of laws bearing his name, but also Meredith only had a very short time, merely three years of peace in his reign so his constant warfare for with various relations must have taxed his people very greatly you can imagine in this era when the welsh were economically largely poor and commodities were exchanged without coinage it would make it difficult to trade with other kingdoms and acquire considerable wealth keep in mind that in this period the saxons are giving tons of gold and coinage to the to the vikings to keep them off whereas Whereas the Welsh, on the other hand, didn't have that financial ability. There was no monetary system existing in Wales at any point in independence. Basically, from the end of the Roman Empire until the beginning of the dominance by the Normans, there is no such thing as Welsh coinage. And that creates this financial problem for the Welsh so it does make you wonder how they paid for things was it strictly done through their ability to create wool and being able to exchange that as a commodity was it through other things that they may have collected um, be it precious minerals or or other things because of course we know Wales had a large tin trade back in the in the late bronze and early iron ages But at this point, that may not have been as important. It's hard to really know for sure how the makeup of of the communities at this point functioned because there's so little historical record to give us some sort of identity of what's going on. Unlike the English, which had records upon records that we can go back to and look at and say, basically from about... Alfred's era onward, we get a decent idea of what's happening economically, and especially when the Normans take over, because they then go out and catalog everything, you much, you get a much clearer idea of what's going on. Whereas in Wales, it's still basically a rural economy, and it, it it's basically driven by things that we really don't fully understand, which is always a problematic situation when you're trying to explain these kind of things. So this the problem of being so economically underprivileged would, of course, put any king in trouble. Kings throughout the Middle Ages pressed their luck taxing the people. Often, full revolts broke out for much less. The family feuds of the north and south of the descendants of Roger Mauer led the kingdoms into constant and continual chaos and vulnerability. We talked a lot in the last year about the significance of family to the Welsh, particularly the extended family relationships, and how both unique and troublesome they could be. However, the one thing that is evident is that, from at least the record's point of view, family unity was as successful and as common in the Welsh experience as it was in other places. So in other words, infighting, backbiting, everybody trying to get control of things was as not unique in the Welsh experience as it was in other places. Basically, this is a common problem. It happens in every family. Let's be honest, it happens in families today. So it's not surprising that it was happening back then. And and in a way, even though it shocks us to some extent, when you read about nephews and, and uncles fighting and killing each other or... Even fathers and sons and brothers fighting and killing each other—it—it it is. Conf- we we do seem to be a little bit at a loss in our modern perspective, but at the same time, this wasn't uncommon then, and it isn't fully uncommon now. It's just a little less violent. Uh, combine that with the way the inheritance laws worked in Wales, then it allows for even more trouble for all these various Welsh kings, as of course having more than one heir not having primogenitor led to conflicts at the best of times with primogenitor it would lead to conflicts but with the welsh system it made it even more sticky because at the end of the day people didn't want to share a smaller and smaller pie people would come back and try and take back their possessions and what they felt they were owed and so often others use this against them, both the Vikings and the English, used this inheritance law against them, at least what the record seems to show. And certainly at the end with Edward that was definitely what was going on. And yet, even amongst this problem and the fact that in the North they were always left vulnerable to attack by both the South and from outside groups, And in the south, they were always forced to deal with the English and the conflict with them. Dovid remained a center of stability in the sea of Welsh chaos, for the most part. Yet, even with all these problems and concerns, the Welsh annals speak of Meredith in flattering terms. He is called the most praiseworthy king of the Britons. We have little reason for why this is, or why that would be the case anyway, or why the analysts felt... This way. Obviously, this is in part a propaganda piece, but still, it's high praise for someone who, unlike his ancestors, struggled to hold on to his gains for most of his life. We will kind of clarify what we think might be the case, at least from the scholarly perspective, but certainly it, you are left with kind of a like, are you sure that's who this guy is? Um, when he died in 999, interesting year to die in Uh, meredith's only heir was cadwallin who had actually died seven years earlier he left the kingdom without an obvious heir in fact his kingdom then reverts to his grandsons who then will continue that period of instability and of course much more competition for the throne in the wake of his death the sons of merig who ruled once more in Gwyneth. Some scholars think, actually, that Meredith never regained control of Gwyneth at this point, and at this stage, Powys, which had been part of Gwyneth for quite some time, was no longer a separate entity. And that might have been the case for a while. We don't really know for sure, but we think the last ruler before the sons of Rodri uh, was probably the last independent ruler of Powys, and by this era, a separate kingdom called Powis didn't really exist. It will, of course, like everything else, pop back up into uh, being as a kingdom. But for this particular point in time, it doesn't exist. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress-free this spring with Factors' delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors' ready-to-eat meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 and use the code welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code welshhistorypod50 at factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. And, of course, this is before Howell took over possession of the north and tried to unite Wales. The southeast kingdoms appear to have reasserted their independence as well, as the expansion of Deuthbarth had likely made them hostile to their western neighbors. In Doithbarth, Cadell, the son of Ioan, the nephew of Meredith, ascended to the throne. His son Tudor was in place as the heir to the crown, at least at this point. But within a year of Meredith's death, in 1000 AD, the Welsh kingdoms were as divided as ever and about to face their greatest threat over the coming years. In 1000 AD, Cynan Ap Howell took power in Gwynedd, only himself to be killed three years later, and then leaving a power vacuum. Our records at this point are so thin that we must look to poetry for at least some possible answers of to what happened. And in fact, even with that, we're still in a vacuum of at least a decade before we know even who may have ruled the place. The Book of Taliesin tells the story of Aden ap Blegeweird, who is said to have ruled Anglesey at this stage, the natural home of Gwynedd, of course, two centuries previous. The poem, which eulogizes Aden, Describes him as leading his military to fight Llywelyn ap Sisil in 1017 at Caer Sion. The poem also mentions the father of the most famous king to come out of 11th century Wales, which of course is Llywelyn. Llywelyn was possibly based in the Powys area. He appears to have taken on Aden for the throne of Gwyneth, defeating Aden in that battle. Charles Edwards felt that the reason Llewellyn was a threat was because he had seized land away from the English for the first time in centuries, including Ruthland. the II, better known to us now unkindly as Ethelred the Unready, was in a state of flux himself, as he was dealing with many problems from the Vikings, which would lead to his eventual ouster. This allowed the Welsh likely to score important victories against the English, taking back Mercian lands that hadn't been in Welsh hands for probably up to 300 years at this point. In an era when martial ability was more important than charitable nature, this in a king worked to Llywelyn's benefit and likely gave him resources to fight for the kingdom, likely ending the Murfinian line in the north, if it still existed at this point anyway. Llywelyn claimed familial links to Merduth which might explain the need for the Analysts to take up this king as such a hero. Flewellyn was apparently married to Angharad, the daughter of Meredith, which is why this would make him the natural heir to the northern throne, is of course speculative at best, and in fact incredibly unlikely. In the south, however, during this period, Reign had come to power. We do not know a lot about Rain, other than that the Llewellyn line wants us to think of him in a particular way. First, that he was Irish. Second, that he was a liar. The lie being that he was a descendant of Meredith, and thus rightful heir to the southern throne. A throne that Llewellyn himself was angling for. So, with that in mind, let me read from the annals themselves and what they say on this issue. Because at this stage, we're going to come to a point where these two are going to conflict. And in fact, in 1020 to 1022, there is a war which goes on. And this is from the Annals. This is actually what they say in the Chronicle of the Princes. So this is a version that was written effectively from the standpoint of Llewellyn and his heirs. 1020 was the year of Christ when a certain Irishman lied in saying that he was the son of the king of Merduth he would have called himself Rain, And he was accepted by the men of the south, and held territory. And against him rose up Llewellyn, Apsisle, king of Gwyneth, and the supreme and most praiseworthy king of all Britain. Note that line. And in his time, as the old men were wont to say, the whole of the land, from one sea to the other, was fruitful in men, and of every kind of wealth, So that there was no one in want nor in need within his territory, and there was not one township empty or desolate. And Rain weakly and feebly gathered a host, and, as is the custom with the Irish, he boastfully incited his men, and he promised them that he would prevail, and he confidently went against his enemies. But they, his enemies, calmly, steadily, awaited that presumptuous inciter, and he made for the battle bravely fearless. And after there had been a great slaughter on either side equally, with the men of Gwyneth fighting steadily, Rain, the Irishman, and his hosts were defeated. For, as it was said in the Welsh proverb, Urge on thy dog, but go not with him. So was he, brave in attack, but foxy manner in turning to flight and the men of gwyneth pursuing them cruelly vengefully slaughtered them and ravaged the whole land and carried off all the chattels and he himself was never seen again and that battle was at the mouth of the river gwili at Abergwily. so needless to say rain doesn't come off very well in this and you get this hilarious proverb about that that they quote which i think is quite amusing by contrast there were conflicting understandings in the annals, as some versions don't necessarily label him as either Irish or a liar. And even in this version, it still talks about him having support in the South. It actually talks about the fact that the conflict was relatively equal in killing. So he still had a large support, somehow, which may speak to the fact that he was probably the rightful heir. But if you're going to sell the people that the actual rightful heir to the throne of this most powerful kingdom in Wales, you need to be able to throw a little dirt on the other guy. Not unlike politicians in this day, the narrative is all that matters. Llewellyn was liberating his fellow Welsh from the lying Irishman. That was the story that the winners wanted you to know, so of course it was true. At least, that's what the analysts would have you believe." Thank you for listening to the Welsh History Podcast. Uh, please send any comments or concerns to Welsh History at gmail.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod. And you can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com for such Welsh History Podcast. Thank you, everybody. Have yourselves a great holiday season. We'll be back after Christmas with another episode, but uh, with all of that in mind. I hope you have a wonderful and joyous time, and uh, we'll talk to you all later. Take care, bye. Edge of the Abyss Creations is a proud sponsor of the Welsh History Podcast. Your one-stop shop for unique jewelry, paintings, and other crafty creations. You can find us at facebook.com/slash Edge of the Abyss One.
1: This has been a Distractions Media production. For more info, you can check out everything we do at distractionsmedia.com. Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Paul Brandis introducing my podcast, Countdown to Dallas. It's a fascinating, in-depth look at the seemingly unconnected events that led to the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on my book of the same title.